Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Deep Shift, a show about the shift in consciousness that is taking place on this planet. My guest today is KG. And she is the president of Unity for Justice, a youth-led organization fighting systemic injustice and oppression. KG, welcome. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Really happy to be here today. It's great to meet you. Uh, so give me a little bit of the vision behind Unity for Justice. So our vision is um, basically to create a, an elite network to empower marginalized groups, lending support to various causes, and working locally to develop solutions to the complex issues affecting the unity and peace of countries across the globe. So we kind of want to be the first point of contact for members of marginalized groups who require support, um, operate as a facilitator, sharing valuable resources. We want to curate an online, an online platform of decolonized um, curriculum, decolonized resources told from the perspective of you know, Black, Indigenous, people of color. Um, and so we work on bringing like-minded individuals together and we challenge our members to find strength in their differences to effectively organize and using our collective strength to build public interest around various miscarriages of justice. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it seems like such a relevant time now for something like this because it's just out there in the open. I mean, it's it's been an issue for so long, but it seems like now there's a really loud voice. For but, sure is. Yeah, yeah and it was kind of born out of like uh, what happened with George Floyd. It was kind of a response to that. Yeah, yep, exactly. And I feel like everyone kind of being quarantined for so long, it was like, you know, that the energy was building for something like this. Something's got to give, right? Yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts on on what's currently going on? I think twofold, like with the pandemic, it's like everything is heightened because we realize that not only is there a racial pandemic, there's also a medical one. And that affects great, uh, disproportionately Black, Indigenous people of color. But then it's also like, now is the time we have, we've had six months to sit, to think, to learn. And I think that it's, it's really incredible to see the entire world kind of wake up together and like become this like monolith to push for change on all sorts of different levels yeah yeah it really is it's 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 really cool seeing people come together um so mm -hmm. i may ask some dumb questions but uh, when you say indigenous uh black indigenous what does that mean so black is anyone afro-caribbean who uh, self-identifies as that indigenous um in my province we use first nations um Inuit, any native um, people to the land. So we could be talking about Palestinians, they're indigenous to that land. Um, the Dene Cree um, people are indigenous to Fort McMurray, Wood Buffalo area. Um, so yeah. Got it. So like the Native Americans would be in, the indigenous yeah. to that, that area. Exactly. So it's kind of giving them rights. Um, exactly. Essentially land that was kind of taken away. And so. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, what there's, I feel like there's been a lot right now, there's a lot of media attention on almost the negative aspects of a lot of these protests. Like you'll see, you know, there'll, there'll be a, a peaceful protest to like 99% of the time. And then like the 1% is this like, uh, there's this violence. And mm -hmm. a lot of people are hopping on that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, how do you see that? I think it's just an easy cop out to dart away from having difficult conversations that the peaceful protesters are trying to have. 
obviously violence is not positive, but it's a response to what has been happening to black people in America for some time. So then to only focus on the 1% and then ignore the 99 that are just standing, dancing, screaming out, you know, doing things um, in a, in a lesser violent way is, it just takes away from the overall message. And it's, I think uh, for me, it's a cop out. Um, Yeah. Because that's all you're focusing on. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. And it, it, like, like I was watching the, the debate, the debate between Trump oh, and, uh, and Biden. Debate. debate yeah. Whatever was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the cage match the <laughs> would have been better as a cage match. That would have been more entertaining. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, I really, yeah, the, the dialogue, it just seems so skewed when, especially Trump, it seems like on the right side, they talk about, it's like all they bring up are these like extreme leftists and, and, you know, Antifa and talking mm-hmm. about just, it's so focused on this violent aspect. And that just seems like such manipulation to me. Right. It is, it is a manipulation because the, the moment that the left says, oh, you guys are being violent, you guys are attacking, you guys have um, like uh, white supremacist protests and things like that. They say, no, that's not all of us, da, 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 da. But the same isn't awarded to us. And then we don't get the nuance in the conversation. And obviously they don't want us to have nuance in the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So it, let's say UFJ, your organization is, is successful. What is, what is success? What does like an optimal outcome look like? Um, starting specifically in our town, a successful like goal of ours is to get black and indigenous representation in the curriculum taught accurately. And as well as on a municipal level, getting our municipality to defund our bylaw, to move funds and direct them to um, the social services that need them in the community. Because while we have six, seven, eight oil companies, we have one of the highest populations of homelessness um, in our province. And so for us, it's all about making tangible change. We don't want, you know, a fluff piece written. We want to see the people who have the authority to make these changes, make these changes. And so by us giving the people the tools, giving them the information that these people in power aren't doing what they're supposed to do, it's kind of just like you, like an awakening that's happening to people so that they can turn away from the distractions from the 1% of the violence on TV and actually focus on what needs to get done. Yeah. And you said your town, which town is that? Uh, so I'm from Fort McMurray, Alberta. It's in the very north of Canada. Um, yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. So you're kind of starting local and then spreading out from that area. Exactly. It's like starting local, but we also have a global aspect because a lot of our members are somewhere in Montreal. Like I'm in the UK right now for school. So we want to be able to start different chapters here and kind of plug in to what's happening on the ground, wherever we are. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Cause then you, you can, you can kind of create that local system and see what works. And then from there, you know, exactly. put it outward. Yeah. Um, so yeah. What, how can people, how can people get involved or how can, you know, anyone who's watching or, or listening, there's a lot of people who, especially like the conscious folk who, who just want peace and unity on this planet. Right. Um, how can your average person participate and get involved? 
Um, so right now we are looking for content creators, anyone who's interested in sharing the information that they know, challenging people's worldview so that they take a step back and, you know, begin to question the things around them. We're looking for researchers and, you know, people who can design. Um, and then you can just interact with us online. Right now our page is called YMM underscore Mark. And we're going to be, you know, changing that over to UFJ. But right now, yeah, we're just looking for people who are willing to put in the work to get this, you know, really off the ground and running. Yeah. So you're from Canada originally? No, I was born in Nigeria. And then I lived there till I was six. Then we moved to Chicago for seven years and then Toronto and then Fort Mac. Wow. <laughs> how, how, was, how was it different? How was the difference from Chicago to, let's say, Canada? like night and day to be honest like when we were in Chicago my mom was like working two jobs we would be left alone like late at night and then when we came to Canada like the quality of life was just different better and even if you were not well off you were still not you know left in the lurch forever you know like you you weren't having to scrounge for for dollars and things like that so it was definitely like a completely different situation but then in saying that having been there for 10 years, I still see like the cracks in the system and the people that do um, get left behind. And, you know, the systemic racism that is geared towards indigenous people primarily. So yeah, it has its good and bad, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah. The, yeah. That's interesting that, that you felt more kind of taken care of in Canada. And yeah. I mean, that even with just global healthcare alone, you know, that, that makes sense. It's like, oh my goodness. I never went to a doctor once while I was in the States. My mom was like, you're not sick. You're not sick. Because like, you can't, that's an entire paycheck, right? You can't. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you have insurance, you know, if you go over that deductible or whatever happened, you're, you know, some insurances aren't that good and yeah. high deductible. Yeah. So yeah, I, I just, yeah, I've got, I, I think, I think the United States healthcare system is, is horrible and mm -hmm. uh, could use quite a bit of reform uh, unfortunately about half the population has been brainwashed to think that we should all be kind of paying <laughs> separately crazy we should have this middleman who who is a profitable organization to yeah it's it's ridiculous it's absolutely and it's crazy because the ones who fight for it the most oftentimes are the ones who don't have access to the thing that they're fighting to keep like it's just it's it's insane to me like the working class white people who support Trump so vehemently are still in the same position that they were four years ago and they're still supporting. So it's like, they really did a good job on that. Not yeah. going to lie. I, I mean, like I could see it where let's say like a rich, you know, corporate Republican is, is like, no, I don't want to like do, do a, a universal healthcare system. That'll make all, all these things. But to, you know, morally, I, I also don't see where they're coming from, but some of, the, <laughs> <laughs> some of these, these, you know, people who don't have a lot of money, who are, you know, Republican Trump supporters, uh, who would benefit so much from mm -hmm. a universal healthcare system. Like it boggles my mind that they're still kind of blindly behind that system, but you know, a lot of brainwashing has, has been going on for decades. Yeah. We're taught from the beginning, you know, the American dream, you hustle to get where you want. And so they just think if they keep hustling one day, they'll be there. But that's not how the system is set up. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of see it as the words that the politicians use as like voodoo on for these mm -hmm. people. You know, it's such manipulate because it's like 
they're literally changing people's minds for their for their worst interest in mind literally and, and like just, just if you use the words that they connect to it's like oh okay this is this is it yeah yeah it's 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 crazy it's crazy um so when so you got to canada and uh how like why do you think systemic racism exists like what's the deal like you know we're 2020 now um Mm -hmm. i think the majority of people want unity equal equality for all you know as your t-shirt says yes um where does this come from and why is it still around i mean we can go back to history and we can look at how when Europeans came, they instilled a hierarchy that favored Christian, Anglo-Saxon, that way of life. And so we've been taught that we are subservient to that. And when you grow up in a world where you are the majority, you don't have to think about other people, you don't have to acknowledge the differences um, that other people face, you don't have to think about their history. You don't, you grow up hearing stereotypes about Black people. And then you pass that on to your kids. And then your kids become the politicians. Your kids become the businessmen. And who do they not hire Black people? Who do they, who do they see as less than and is sucking away the welfare? Black, Indigenous, poor people all around. And so you want the system to work in a way that will never allow them to be prosperous. And so I think it comes from a lot of like history in the colonial context, especially with America having Jim Crow laws and segregation. The legality of racism has been around in the States since primarily its inception. And colonization did the same thing. It made it legal to discriminate against people of a certain caste in India. Made it legal for, you know, tribal leaders to do whatever they wanted to uh, their servants and things like that. So we've, we've seen the law used and it's created a system that is you know, negative towards, um, black indigenous people of color. Yeah. It's, it's, I grew up in LA and it's like, there were areas, you know, Compton and, and, and whatnot, where it's, it's predominantly, uh, African-American black. Is there a certain word that's better to use? (laughs) No, just as long as you're not saying the N one, you're good to go. (laughs) You got that. Yeah. (laughs) But black is fine in any context. Yeah. Uh, sometimes African-American sounds kind of not, because it's like you live in Canada. So it's like, do, yeah. does African-Canadian even, is that even a thing? <laughs> I think they've now moved to Afro-Canadian or something, but I just, just black is fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, the, it, it's almost like, you know, predominantly black neighborhoods, there's uh, a lot of violence and people kind of see that and just like associate like black with violence. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you're saying, it's like the system itself is, has, it kind of makes it so it's very difficult to get out of that situation. Mm-hmm. And, it's perpetrating the stereotype. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I, I feel like a lot of people's minds are a bit kind of confused with mm-hmm the reality of humanity and the stereotype. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, and so by uh, helping kind of get rid of systemic racism, it breaks down that system that is keeping black communities down exactly. and helps lift them up. Yeah. And like what you said about humanity, that's what we need to get back to, you know, like we've, 
had labels handed out to us as, you know, white, black, whatever. And that makes it so easy to disconnect and just say, oh, they're just killing each other in the ghetto. You know, they're uneducated, this and that. But when you look at the humanity, you see that there are kids going to school while they're hearing gunshots and they're still getting that education, but the government won't fund their inner city schools. Or you look at, you know, gang members who, you know, volunteer at, you know, youth shelters and things like that. You, once you put that label there, it stops people from looking beyond and seeing, you know, the kind of holes and the, and the weird, the weird imbalance of power that happens because the people on the ground are saying we need help and the government is saying they don't want our help. And then people are believing that. Hmm. Have you personally uh, experienced uh, prejudice, racism, et cetera, in your life? What has your experience been like growing up? Um, I like growing up in Nigeria, obviously it's black. And then when we came to Chicago, it was kind of, I was black, but I wasn't really black because I was African. So we had like the, the name calling the accent, like, Oh, the reason I changed my name to actually KG is because no one knew how to pronounce my name and it's Moron KG and it's M-O-R-O-N-K-E-J-I. They say Keji, Kijai, whatever. And so I shortened it for that reason. Um, but I don't, I didn't really experience anything like that growing up in Chicago. Um, but then when I moved to Canada, the town we're in now is predominantly white and I've had a few experiences of like, um, prejudices. Like I was walking out of Tim Hortons, which is a coffee shop. And there was a lady walking in, I was done my coffee, threw it away. And she like clutched her purse as I was leaving. And I was like, a, your purse isn't cute too. Like, are you serious? Like that was very off-putting to me. Um, and then working in the UK, I worked in a department store and the older white people would come in. And for me, the money would just get tossed onto the counter. No conversation, no nothing, no thank you, whatever. My white counterparts, oh, they'd laugh, they'd have conversations, you know, they'd hand them the money with respect. Um, so those are just little prejudices. Wow. Yeah. That's the biggest one for me has been um, at work. I learned the hard way that people really do have biases and they let them, you know, get the better of them. Because for me, I would read at work and for the people around me who, you know, they had, I'm in university, they graduated high school, they have really good jobs working where they work. But to see someone like me reading during lunch, to them, it translated as, oh, she's uppity. She doesn't really want to get to know us, that kind of stuff. And that kind of brewed, like, just negative energy, hatred. And so I was let go from that position. And I had intel that that was the reason I was let go, because they were intimidated. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's so crazy. It's like, it's, yeah, it, it, as, as a, a white person growing up, it's like, my whole thing was like, well, I don't see color. You know, mm -hmm. I just see humanity, but then mm -hmm. I kind of heard that that was not a, not a good thing. <laughs> it's, we gotta see color. We gotta see it. You have to see it because then you can help change it. Exactly. If you're, if it's just invisible, then it's almost like then avoiding. No the, yeah. Then it's no problem. It's just no issue. So mm -hmm. that, yeah, that could probably be worded differently. <laughs> I, I see your color, but it's not, it's just, there's no you know, bias against what I see. Yeah. 
Yeah. So how do you see it? Like, what could like white people do? Like, let's say in the United States, maybe even in Canada, um, just your average white Joe, <laughs> like what, <laughs> what, what could they do on social media or just in general that would benefit the cause? Talk about it. Have conversations with people. Like you will not believe I have this one friend. Her name is Emma. We met in university. She was singing a Drake song. She said the N word. And I was like, oh, sis, you cannot do that. And I explained it to her. And then I explained it to her again. And it was like through those conversations in the past five years, she's had such incredible growth. Like she's who I point to as an ally. So I think just talking about it, making it not a black person problem or an indigenous problem, but make it a problem that you personalize for yourself. Because you probably have black friends, you have Hispanic friends, you know, you have people around you that are affected by these things. And it's, it's important for you to understand these things, because that's how the world works. The world operates on hoping that no one looks around and sees what we see. Yeah. So I, it's just talking about it, reading about it, making it have agency about the problem by personalizing it. Yeah, I love that. It, it reminds me of it's kind of just being consciously aware, uh, for example, like wh- when Nike shoes were made by little kids and, mm. you know, in a different country, like yeah. to be blind to that, to not know that exists, but just like love your Nikes. It's like yeah. there, there's some karma there that you may not want. Unfortunately, yeah. And yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying anything about Nike. I don't actually know if it was Nike or who, but you know, that, that happens with the child sweat camps and, yeah. you know, it's, it's like to uh, really know about what's going on on the planet with our black brothers and sisters like how do they feel what is their reality like and really tuning into that and and just first just learning about it you know and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to interview you is because I feel like I have a lot of learning to do Mm -hmm. and it's fun to learn and I want (laughs) I want peace in this planet you know I want equality and, and and justice and I want this this world to be a better place Yeah. There's, there's like so many, like one book I could recommend is why I'm no longer talking to white people about race. Um, there's white fragility, um, anything and everything Angela Davis has ever written is incredible. Um, yeah, there's, it's, it's a lot, but it's finding what works for you, engaging with, you know, profiles on Instagram that you actually like that post content that you're, you know, keep coming back to that you can actually, you know, take a second, sit down, think about it. Um, but yeah, it is, I'm, I'm glad that you're, you know, taking a step and just recognizing that, you know, we all have things that we could know more about. And it's, uh, it's important that we, that we take that first step. Yeah. You mentioned uh, the word ally. What does ally mean for people who don't know that word? Because I've, I've heard it uh, recently. Mm-hmm. So an ally is basically someone who's down with the cause um, not only by posting about it or, you know, doing a black square on Instagram, then never talking about it again, but someone who, you know, engages with the people who are fighting, who supports them, who is not, you know, wanting to be at the front of it, but is willing to be at the back end in any way they can. That means being an ally with your wallet. That means being an ally with your platform. That means being an ally in your family when you're having Thanksgiving dinner and someone says something. So it's, um, yeah, allyship is action, essentially. It's not, it's not just words, it's action. Yeah, okay, yeah. And, and now, now just seems like a time in, in human history where 
you have to speak up. Mm-hmm. And if, if, you know, there's something that's going on around you that you don't agree with and you don't speak up, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's almost like you're, you're a part of the problem at that point. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to know everything to be a good ally. You have to be able to listen, to learn, to be willing to, you know, have those uncomfortable conversations. And I think a lot of people, what scares them from having these conversations or even saying anything about it is that they're scared to get things wrong. Like even something as simple as African-American or black, that could deter someone from having that conversation, right? But the way you ask the question, the way you present it to someone, it lets them know that, oh, they're here to learn. They're here to, you know, value my perspective and they're willing to, you know, grow from what we're doing together. Yeah. Yeah. Because I I know uh, there's certainly a lot of white people who they just don't want to get something wrong, you know, and, and say the wrong thing. So they may just be, be silent because of that. Which... Yeah. And that's, and that's the problem with the, I guess, extreme left and the white liberal in general. It's like, they'll cut your finger off if you get something wrong right away. And it's, it's, it's not good for the movement. It's not good for people because how do we learn if, you know, we don't let people make mistakes or people come to us honestly with vulnerability Um, I don't think that we can just do the work academically and be very cold if we're trying to, you know, work towards a humanity that works together. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point. That's such a good point. And it's so good to see the balance between the right and the left and see where the right is, you know, wrong and left is wrong and the right is right and left is right. Because there are, you know, on the right side, you do see this backlash of people who are just saying like, there's way too much going on with like the whole cancel culture. And like, if anyone says a single thing, it's like, boom, they're done. Yeah. And that, that itself creates fear. Truly, truly. Cancel culture is, is insidious and it's unhelpful to anyone. Yeah. It should be conversation culture. (laughs) Yeah. Let's talk about it. And then if you don't want to change, okay, maybe we'll say bye-bye, but we have to give people a chance to kind of own up to what they did and, you know, decide whether or not we think it's authentic, but we have to give them that chance, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. And if like someone said something like 15 years ago, like 10 years ago on their Twitter, you know, it's like, I'm just like, I don't have time to be searching for that. That's all I'm saying. Like, I'm moving forward. And I'm, like base level, we all know that where we were 10 years ago is not where we are now. And we can't hold people to this standard, the standard of today for yesterday, you know? It's, yeah, it doesn't lead anywhere positive. Yeah, and I feel like it'd be so much more productive if we opened it up to a conversation right mm-hmm. off the bat, you know, yeah. than than, uh, than just immediately grabbing the pitchforks. Because if, if it became a conversation, you know, even if you like had your pitchfork in your hand, but you weren't necessarily <laughs> pointing it, you could just say, okay, like, just explain this tweet that you did seven years ago. And that could then open up to a conversation. They could then get invited to a talk show where they could continue that conversation. And it just feels bigger against the audience. Yeah. And it's, it would be so much more helpful if, if we were able to do that, because then we would understand other people's upbringings. Cause like if you grow up white and you're not ever, exposed to black things and then you grow up with these stereotypes you're bound to say something negative you're bound like to use the n-word you're bound to say these things and so when we shut people down we don't even give them a chance to explain or say hey this is how i grew up but i know better now it, it doesn't lead anywhere 
Yeah. Yeah. It, it reminds me of Kevin Hart, who uh, I believe was the Oscars he was going to uh, host. <laughs> and yeah, they found something in his Twitter like years and years and years ago um, that was kind of slightly homophobic. I don't remember exactly what it was. Um, I think he was, yes, it was something, maybe something about his son. That yes. He didn't want his son to be gay. Didn't want his son to be gay. Yeah. And I, I'm sure there was some context in there. And, and it, it, when I've heard him talk about it recently, it's like, he feels terrible about it. It wasn't exact. He didn't really mean that. It was kind of a joke. And even like seven years ago, times are changing very quickly. They are. Like, I, when I was a kid, I would, I would call things gay, you know, as, as a derogatory term. And then one mm -hmm. of my, like my, literally my best friend growing up, he came out of the closet. Mm -hmm. He's like, Hey, I'm gay. And I was like, wow, I had no idea. And, oh, wow. and, and I was like, what do you, I was just curious, like, what, what do you think? Like, how do you feel when people use the word gay? And he was like, it actually really hurts my feelings. Mm. And I was like, whoa, you know, I, that was the first time I ever realized that hurt someone's feelings that's, and that's I learned some, yeah I never after that never used the word again for a derogatory term mm -hmm. you know and if it, there, there's there's a lot of ignorance and um I think there should be some compassion with people's ignorance mm -hmm. you know they shouldn't be off the hook because of it but mm -hmm. there should be the conversational compassion where it's like hey I know you didn't mean that like in the, I didn't mean to be mean but it actually can hurt people's feelings yeah. And like not, and the initial reaction to someone saying, hey, like this hurts my feelings is like defensiveness. And like the, I've seen online, it's like white defensiveness. Like, oh, I didn't mean it. You know, I'm not da 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 da. But it's like what you did in that instance where you said, oh, this does hurt your feelings. It's not an attack on you. It's an attack on the use of the word. So I think that when we do like have things that come up like that, like most recently we had a principal use the N word in front of students and the students recorded it they got suspended and the school is defending the principal. Um, and so like when the defensive. Why did he use the N word? Oh, she used it. Um, the kids were using it and then she was explaining to them why it shouldn't be used. And so she decided that in order to show them that she had to say it. Mm. That's yeah. it's such an interesting thing. Cause it's like, yeah. It, can you you can you can a white person ever say it if it's educational what do you think no i think yeah. you could say hey we don't use the n-word because it's a swear word we're in school but you don't have to say the word from to a bunch of kids yeah it almost, <laughs> like, yeah it's almost like they were like trying to be kind of brash in a yes yeah yeah, yeah. and like i get like the like understanding that she's you know a high-ranking staff member but it's like the kids are suspended now. Their school is put on hold because of something she did. And that's just unfair in my opinion. Yeah. Yep. And even that, like that principal, teacher, whoever it was, they, they should go on, you know, that should turn into a conversation. It could have been. It really could have been a learning experience and say, hey, let's find out how this word came to be used. And then let's talk about how it was reclaimed by Black people. And then let's understand why white and non-black people aren't allowed to say it. That would have been a great history lesson. That would have been a great history lesson. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting uh, how it was reclaimed. Mm -hmm. that's, that's fascinating. It's like taking the power away from it by using it as uh, like a, almost like a brotherly, sisterly thing amongst 
Yeah, like even like gay people, they use like the word fag to like each other sometimes. And like, you know, women have now reclaimed the word slut and taken it, you know, reversed, subverted it and everything. So yeah, that's kind of what that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It reminds me of some some new Cardi B songs where it's just like <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Yep. Tell you that. What say that again? I said I can't listen to that in front of my mom. I will tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, it's 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 incredibly explicit in such a like female empowering way. Yeah. Like it's not yeah, it doesn't feel like, uh, it's just like, wow, they're really saying it. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. It just seems like, uh, I, I had a guest yesterday, I recorded an interview and we were talking about kind of sacred sexuality and mm. yeah, she was saying how it's, it's really bringing that power back and it's being used in this powerful way that removes a lot of like the shame that females would feel about their sexuality. Yeah. And by being so, so bold about <laughs> what they say and, and the lyrics, um, it kind of helps f- some females realize that like their sexuality is, is beautiful and okay. And it's okay to like express yourself. And it matters. And it's like, it's so interesting because even when I'm looking at like the videos or the pictures, I don't inherently see sex or sexuality. I see power. I see strength. I see them using their bodies in an insane way that I can never do. You know, so I think that it's just challenging us to look a bit deeper into the why of what they're doing and how we got here. And yeah, I think it's definitely bringing it back to. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it, it is. And, and it's so it's so cool to have conversations like this mm-hmm. and, and just just to talk about it, you know, really, really have that communication. I think it's so important. And because oh, yeah, a lot of things I, I had no idea, even like. Like, for example, I just, I just, uh, Jaden Smith, uh, you know, Will Smith's son, he released a new album that I think is just phenomenal. It's, it's oh, absolutely so good. so good. And, uh, you know, he's very conscious in the lyrics, uh, but sometimes he also uses the N word, you know, mm-hmm. and, and for him, he's black. So it's all, it's all good. Uh, but I, I also like to like <laughs> sing along. <Same>? You know? <laughs> I find myself like centering myself. I'm like, I don't get it. Like, should I, shouldn't I, if I'm like appreciating, I, you know, it's that line there. I'm, I'm, it's just an interesting line. Mm-hmm. It but, is, it is hard. And like, even for me until two, three years ago, I did not use the N word. Like I would, I would censor myself. I really did not like it to be used at all. Um, but yeah, I just think that it's, it is what you make of it. Like for me, I've changed my relationship to the word. And so like, I do like say it now and then, but it's definitely, it's one of those things that it varies person to person for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just my own bias, but I, I feel like he shouldn't be saying it, but I, it's a, totally his thing. I, I don't know. I just feel like, uh, is it necessary? I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's sometimes, but then again, I can't tell them. It's his, it's his, his thing. Yeah. Yeah. Totally <laughs> yeah. Very true. Um, so if people want to, uh, do you, do you guys have, uh, a, uh, Instagram or some, some way that people can, can kind of connect with you guys or should people follow you? Oh yeah. You guys can do either or, um, my Instagram is KG is amazing. 
Um, I post, you know, thoughts on anti-racism, capitalism, patriarchy, all that. And then our Instagram is YMM underscore March. Um, and we also have a Facebook page. And yeah, so come on over. We'll have some incredible conversations. And yeah, we're really excited. We're going to have a website up soon and everything. So things are, things are moving. And KG, you are amazing. Oh, thank you. You know, the Instagram name is not a lie. <laughs> it's not a lie. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely love what you're doing. And I will also get those links from you to include in the show notes so people can just easily tap whether they're watching it on YouTube or listening on their favorite podcasting app and just make wow. it so easy to find. Um, do you have any uh, parting messages or words for people to take with them? Um. I guess the only thing is just like remember our humanity even though like things are extremely um divisive right now when we're all heated in the moment we still have to kind of remember that we are all just humans trying our best to approach everyone with compassion and see the person behind the opinion because um that's not what they want they want us to stay divided stay arguing and we have to push past that and we have to push back past our biases past what we think we know and um, just come out on the other side stronger. And that's what UFJ hopes to do. And that's what I hope to do as an individual. Mm, I love it. I love it. And such truth, such truth. We are all humans just trying to live our best life. Honestly. <laughs> We're just a bunch of humans trying to live our best life. And it's, it's also true that they do not want us united. Yeah. Cause once, once we realize that, we're the 99 and they're the one that's when everything is going to shift everything it's mm -hmm. when everything is going to shift because there's so much power amongst all of us and i think it's what we want yeah that's why we crave connection we we know that there's power in us just being together fellowshipping together yeah yeah and that just that that battle between the right and the left at least in the u.s i'm, I'm sure it's similar in in canada yeah yeah and and you know, that's what I'm here for. Help spread unity and peace and love and to open God. these conversations up. Love that. <laughs> this has been so incredible. Yeah, for sure. It's, yes. it's, it's an important work that you're doing. So I'm thankful for you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's, it's great. And yeah, I appreciate you as well. You're a kind spirit and I can oh. see your heart and keep up good work. We'll try. Let's yes, get it. <laughs> I love it. All right. Much love and take Thank care. You. So, thank you so day. much for your time. Oh, yeah. do you? Oh, go ahead. Never mind. No, I'll, you're, you're good. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, feel free to comment on this and just share your thoughts on this episode. Uh, and thank you guys for tuning in. And we'll have some more awesome conversations later. Much love. Bye.